Yes, your family. Today we're going to look at Acts chapter 22. We're actually going through the whole chapter, so it might be a little bit longer episode. Uh, but I trust as we just continue to look through this and walk through this book, that it is going to uh, give you a, a clear understanding of God's goodness and providence, and how the Lord uses different people, especially during times of very uh, difficult persecution, to make his name be known uh, throughout the known world. Uh, if you remember, just uh, by listening through this, this is uh, Paul in Jerusalem. Uh, he was uh, sent by the Lord uh, to go, and it, it, he left Ephesus in chapter 20. And um, in the beginning of chapter 21, he was getting uh, a vision to go, and then there was other people that got the same vision, but they interpreted it differently. Uh, all the other disciples, when they saw what the Spirit was going to do, uh, what, what the Lord was really going to do, um, when the Holy Spirit gave them this vision, they told and pleaded with Paul not to go. Um, not because they didn't want to, you know, contradict the Holy Spirit, but because they knew how hard it was going to be for Paul, and they didn't want him to suffer. <laughs> and uh, they pleaded with Paul, but Paul went anyway, and the result is that in, in chapter 20, verse 14, is that the, the will of the Lord be done. And Paul went to Jerusalem, and the reason why he went to Jerusalem was because he had um, money from the Gentile uh, believers uh, that they went to go and support the Jerusalem church as a way to show that the Gentile Christians are actually, um, you know, that they're united, that they love them, and this is a way for them to show, just practically and tangibly, uh, that they're, they're united in Christ. He arrives there, in verse 17, said that the brethren received us gladly, so they're happy to see uh, Paul, and they're glad, and they're thankful for what they were given, and um, that's and you know they knew that they it was almost Pentecost, and that means there, there's gonna be a crowd coming. Paul wanted to go and witness to people there, and um, he uh, before he went, he took this Nazarite vow in, in chapter uh, twenty-one, verse twenty-three, where he did all this with all the other people with, so that he can go into the um, the the temple. In the synagogue without being a stumbling block. Uh, he didn't want anything. He, he wanted the, the most access as possible. So he did this whole ritual uh, process, and um, so that you know he so the people so he could basically have an audience with those that are Jewish people that are very sensitive to these things. He was taken and, <coughs> and captured at the end of verse twenty one. People thought that he was the the anti Jewish or Judaism person and. You recall that during that time, when you attack Judaism uh, or and Jews, you're, it's almost like attacking the same thing in, in, in the mind of a Jewish person. And Paul um, was taken, and then there was a mob that was going against him, and he gets tied up, he gets beaten, and then this Roman cohort um, was wondering what was going on. They uh, get to Paul, and they thought that Paul was this Egyptian um, terrorist, uh, but then they find out it wasn't him, and then Paul asked them, if you go and share the, uh, and speak with them, they were surprised because uh, they knew that he because you know he was able to speak. Uh, he thought that he was Egyptian, but he was he knew how to speak Greek. And they threw them off. And he asked them if he could have a, an audience with the Jews that wanted to kill him. And this is in chapter twenty-two. Is really is that is that um, testimony? He he's funny how he it's it's interesting how he makes this argument for Jesus Christ because you know the Jewish people knew who he was they knew generally what he was about and they ultimately they knew that Paul 
uh, have denied Judaism and has gone away. And they thought that, well, the reason why he, he went away was because he was swayed by the Christians. And now he's like this anti-Jewish person. And Paul's rebuttal, uh, is not, is, he was basically trying to go against everything they said. Now, what is interesting here is that, uh, um, Paul here begins in chapter 20, verse 1, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, so, you know, first of all, they're just surprised. They're like, hey, this is, this guy is, he, he's speaking to them in Hebrew. And he, you know, it means that he, he's, he speaks multiple languages, but he's also educated. And Paul begins by stating his own testimony. He says, I'm a Jew born Tarsus of uh, Cilicia and, and brought up in the city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you are today, just as you, you are all he, are today. So Paul understands, Paul's first argument is to explain to him, look, he's not anti-Jew, he's not, he's not anti, like, the Jewish ethnicity or Judaism in that way. And he said, it says that he, he was taught by Gamaliel, so he knew um, you know, the Camillo was, was like, you know, the best teacher at the time. And he was really, he was really strict. And he shows up actually uh, earlier in Acts chapter 9 before, and he said he, Camillo was a teacher. He, he was strictly <coughs> uh, following the law. He, and it's here that he's being zealous for God, just as you are all t today. And what's interesting here is that the zealots, you know, zealous for God, it's, he's basically saying that he was part of the most extreme and most strict um, group of Judaism. And it was obvious because he was, uh, you know, the Zealots, uh, they were anti-Roman, and they were, you know, anti all these other religions, and um, they were the strictest sense, and they were the ones that were willing to kill. And Paul was that. He was saying that I am, I was like one of you guys, but then something has changed. Before I persecute the way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. So he um, you know, he was obviously, um, he was, he used to be just like them. He's, and that's the point he's trying to get at. He's trying to show them that, um, you know, you're accusing me of something, but you have no idea that I surpassed you all in every single way. Just like how Paul makes that defense in Philippians where he says that like, you know, sometimes people like talk about their self-righteousness and their titles. Paul has so much more. He, he was able to uh, talk about his ethnicity, his title, his education, his background, his ranking, but yet when, when when compared to Christ, he sees all of those things as rubbish. Here, he's uh, he's explained to them that these things so he because I think these Paul was a famous uh, <coughs> famous Jewish person. He just basically tying back to them like, hey, I was one of you guys, and the things that I thought was right, I was wrong, and it wasn't because of something that he did, which we'll see, is because God changed him. He said he used to kill the way. Christianity used to be called the way, which sounds really cool. I kind of wish we could keep that title or change Christianity or evangelicalism back to that. That'd be really cool because, you know, Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, people assume that, like, you know, the Christians used to call themselves that. And that's, again, a cool name. Paul used to kill them, and it says in verse 5, and also the high priest and all Council of elders can testify from them. I also received letters to the brethren start off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. So Paul was apparently commissioned. He was basically like hired. Not really hired, but I guess he was commissioned is better, better word. He was commissioned by these the high priests and the council of the elders to go and find Christians. So he got this letter. 
is like, hey, I'm I'm tasked to hunt uh, Christians. Essentially, he was almost like a bounty hunter. He went, he went to look for Christians. He wanted to take them to Jerusalem as prisoners. But uh, God intervened. Verse 6, but it happened that I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime. A very bright light suddenly flashed around heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? <coughs> That's fascinating because, you know, usually people are blinded when there's darkness. Before uh, Paul, he was blinded by the light. Uh, the light was what caused him to not see. And he hears a, a, a message from the Lord. And he's asking, why are you persecuting me? And, and, Paul, and you know, Paul responds by saying, and I answer, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you're persecuting. And this is significant because he's, he's, Paul is basically telling um, the Jews that this Jewish guy that you killed all those years ago, he's resurrected. And he's the one who blinded me. He's the one that said that. <coughs> he's the one that I'm persecuting. And uh, this is an attack on the Jewish thinking that Jesus was in hell. Uh, there were some Jewish writings that said that. Uh, Jesus is in the lowest part of hell because they uh, they hated Jesus. And Paul is saying, look, that guy that you guys hate so much, he's the reason why I was blind. He's the one that told me that I'm, uh, that he's the Lord. And he uh, he's resurrected. And this is will be a shock to them because remember at the end of the Gospels, they said that um, you know, the guards were bribed to create a lie. And, and Paul, obviously, at the time, bought into that lie too. You know, he, he was the one that was killing Christians. And now he's saying, no, no, that lie that we bought into wasn't a lie. It was true that Jesus did come uh, come back to life. And I, I saw him in this vision. Um, verse 9, and those who were with me saw the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of God, of, of the one who was speaking to me. So Paul had some sort of personal message by the Lord. And Paul even tells him, like, look, talk to them. If you don't believe my testimony, take, take those guys. Uh. Listen to them, see what they have to say, because they, they can testify that this actually happened. Verse 10, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said, get up and go on to Damascus. There you will be told of all things that you have been appointed for you to do. So what's fascinating about this part is that even before he was saved, the Lord had tasked him uh, with a particular mission to go and represent him. Now, as Christians, we understand that is like ours as well, right? Um, we understand our own salvation. We understand that the Lord chose us before the foundations of the world. And the moment we become saved, our, our direction and our affections in life is drastically altered. No longer are we living ourselves meaninglessly and aimlessly and like, like groping in darkness, but that we are actually living for the Lord, that we belong to the Lord. And what we need to do is glorify him all that we do. We worship him and we go and tell other people about him. We go and tell other Christians uh, you know, to continue to you know, do the mission, to, to do the creative commission. And we call non-Christians to saving faith. Uh, the moment we come saved, our, our desires are altered and changed. And the scriptures tell us exactly what we need to do and why we are in this life. That's why on all these several podcasts, I've been highlighting the, and emphasizing the importance of evangelism. Because that's why we're here. The reason why we're still here, the one of the few things that we we're still able to do here on earth and not in heaven is evangelism. And the reason why we're able to do evangelism is because God chose us. He appointed us before the foundation of the world um, to represent him here in this day and age. And that's what has going to Paul. And that's what's going on in our life as well. That we need to see our life as not just some random event. That we are here in this life, in this day, in this age, in this city, 
for a particular reason, and that is to win people to Jesus Christ. It says there that the Lord has appointed for you to do. We are all tasked to help and do the Great Commission. Yes, some people are better at it, but we're all called to be uh, uh, faithful and fulfilling the Great Commission. And Paul is saying that, uh, that he, uh, that the Lord gave him this task. Um, and, that's, and we need to see our task as well, that we need to go up and get up and go on and do whatever the Lord has appointed us to do. Verse 11, but since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and, and came into Damascus. A certain man, Ananias, who saw was, who, a man who was devout by the standard of the law. I mean, this is probably, uh, um, a Jewish person that became this, uh, Christianity and, and well-spoken of by all the Jews who lived there came to me and standing near said to me, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the very time I looked up at him and he said, the God of our father has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. So basically he was told that, that your job is to represent him. And uh, verse 54, you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. And this is like, the fact that he's actually, Paul was doing this and giving a testimony to this crowd is, is a fulfillment here. He said that, you know, Jesus told him, you're going to represent me. And or Ananias, uh, Jesus through Ananias, uh, said that he's going to represent Christ. And this is exactly what's going on right now. He's actually testifying to the reality of this prophecy that he is going to represent Christ. 16. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And cults usually use this verse as explain as like a call for the people to get baptized, like a baptismal regeneration is their doctrine. Um, but actually, if you just look at the basic grammar structure here, so like get up and be baptized. This is really, this first place is like, okay, be the public declaration of your faith. Uh, you tell other people that you are saved and then go and, you know, that's what baptism is, is a public declaration of inward change. And so wash away your sins, calling on his name. So the only way for us to be saved is not by the baptism, but really it's the calling upon Jesus Christ. Now, why do I say that? Because Paul here, not just here, but in the gospel, he, he makes this very distinction that, especially in first Corinthians, he makes this like, I baptized so-and-so, I didn't baptize this group of people. And he even said that he's, he's not here to baptize, but he's here to declare the gospel. So there is a distinction between sharing the gospel with someone and baptizing as a person. It's like two separate things. And uh, Paul generally didn't baptize that many people so that he, you know, people won't get puffed up and think that they're super godly because they're baptized by him. But his job is to be <coughs> a herald of the gospel and preach God's word. So they're supposed to go hear God's word and get saved. Uh, and... And throughout the, most of Paul's writings, actually all of Paul's writings, he talks about how salvation is by faith through grace. So here, the same way, he, he it's calling on the name of Jesus, because if it was about works, then every other writing in the um, New Testament, especially all of Paul's writing, will have make some more of this connection, and that he, or, or that he misunderstood what Ananias was saying. And I don't think that Paul misunderstood what Ananias was saying. Paul understood what Paul, Ananias was saying by saying, "You need." Call upon the name of Lord for the washing of your sins. That's how you, uh, how we can understand that passage here. Verse seventeen. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. Uh, this is this actually is a time jump here. This is three years later. Uh, verse eighteen. I saw him saying to me, "Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me." And I said, "Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you." 
And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I was, uh, I also was standing by approving and watching for the cult of those who were slaying him. He said to them, Go, for I will send you away to Gentile. It's funny. He's, you know, I mean, at this point, three years, Paul still doesn't fully understand that you don't wrestle with God. You just have to do what he tells you. He thought that, like, uh, look, they're, they're going to get me. They're going to understand. Like, these Jews, they're going to kill me, but I'll, I'll tell them. I was one of them. And God, and, and, and God told him, no, you didn't go and minister to the Gentiles. Paul, again, I think the reason why he's doing all of this is basically trying to tell the Jews that he's not anti-Semitic. You know, he he wanted to minister to them. And in, 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 the, in his epistles, Paul's, in Romans 11, Romans 11, he, Paul really wanted uh, the Jews to be saved. He even said that if, he's, if it's possible, he'll he will take their place, that he will receive judgment so that his people can be saved. So he loved the Jews. Um, he wanted them to be saved, but uh, you know, then he knew, God knew that that wasn't the task for him. He tells him, go and minister to Gentiles. So he did. Verse 22. They listened to him up to this statement, and then they raised their voice and said, Wait with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. So what was fascinating is like throughout the, these 21 verses, uh, they didn't say it. They were just listening. They, they, they liked it. seemed like they were like, oh, hey, it's cool that this guy was taught by Gamaliel, that he had all this um, you know, uh, Jewish upbringing. But the moment they talked about Gentiles being saved, that wasn't enough for them. And the reason why that is is because the Jewish people saw themselves as the exclusive upper echelon religious people and everyone else is below them. Now, how does it apply to us? Understand that every culture has that kind of thinking. Every culture discriminates. Every culture believes that they are the best culture. Every culture has a culture that is the quote-unquote primary one, looks down at everyone. Nowadays, there was a time even when Christianity was that, but we can see that it's not the case anymore. Christianity is going to be known as the you know the outlier and the outcast, and we have to understand that that's okay. Uh, that we're not going to be liked, and uh, we're going to say things that's going to cause people to want to kill us. Um, but the Jewish people here in, in Acts, they hated the Gentiles. They saw themselves as the elite, and that no one else, especially the Gentiles. Uh, can be saved. They thought that the, the Gentiles were not worthy for salvation and that they were only certain selected people can be saved. And that's like our every culture. Every culture, there's always the selective group of people that believe that only they can have the keys to paradise or acceptance in the culture. And eventually just know and just understand that this is just normal human behavior, that they're going to find ways to attack certain groups. And for us, they're going to attack us. They're going to attack Christians because uh, what we say is not acceptable. Just like how the Jewish people here, they were they did not find uh, Gentile salvation as something that's acceptable to hear. But as Christians, we know that we need to be faithful to it, regardless of what the outcome may be. Verse 23, as they were crying out and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air, and part of the reason why that is is because you know, they're being irrational and emotional. They were, they were doing throwing dust because I think they were trying to hit Paul with rocks but they didn't have any so they just threw dust in the air uh, verse 24 the commander ordered him to be brought into barracks saying that he should be examined by scourging uh, so that he might find out the reason why they were shouting against him that way but when they stretched him out with tongs paul said to the centurion who was standing by is it lawful for you to scourge a roman a man who is roman and uncondemned now paul finally you pulls us your roman card out here and uh they're like shocked again uh, because it is actually against the law. And Paul used the law to his advantage here. 
Verse 26, when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and told him, saying, What are you about to do? For this man is Roman. The commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, I acquired the citizen with a large sum of money. And Paul said, But I was acquired born, but I was actually born a citizen. So again, Paul's like, he's pulling out something that's amazing because even though he's like, he's, he said earlier, I'm a Jew born in Tarshish of, of Cilicia. You would think that the Romans heard that and I mean, like, okay, he's actually one of, he's naturally born citizen. He's ethnically Jewish in this one area that's like um, pretty famous. But yeah, somehow they didn't make the connection that he's actually Roman because what they were doing, uh, you know, scourging Roman without, or another fellow Roman without, you know, due process or, or, or anything like that. That's considered legal, and if they, in the, in the Roman mind, if you scourge someone without cause, that punishment is going to be placed onto you. Like you hurt someone that was innocent, you get punished. That's why they're terrified here, because they were like, "Oh, we actually don't know why you're being punished, but if you, you know, they just thought that he was evil or did something wrong, and they found that he was innocent. Now they're terrified." Verse twenty-nine. Therefore, those who were about to examine him immediately let go of him, and the commander also was afraid. Which meant that he was a Roman because he had put him in chains. So even then, he should, uh, the, you know, the people that are commander, they shouldn't have done that. You know, they shouldn't have, like, you know, put handcuffs on him um, because he didn't do anything wrong. And even that small gesture had huge consequences in the Roman world. Verse 30. But on the next day, wishing to know just for certain why he had been accused by the Jews, he released them and ordered the chief priests and all the councils assembled and brought Paul down and set him before them. So we see just here that how Paul was was really strategic in the way that he defended himself. He tried to sway and win the audience um, by something that they were that they understood. Um, they thought that uh, you know, Paul was anti all of these different things, basically no, I was actually pro all of these things and the reason why I changed wasn't because of the arguments of the Christians, because he used to kill Christians. It wasn't because he like, let go of Judaism as if it was something he wanted to do, but because God changed his affections. The Lord changed him. That's why he's living for him. Now, when we defend the faith, you have to understand, too, that that's why. Why do we do what we do? At the, at the source of it is because we know that God saved us. Why are we willing to defend for truth the way that we do? is because we have no other choice. If you are a true Christian, your affection and your devotion is singularly for the Lord. It's it, Yes, there's human responsibility, but you have to understand that the reason why you have the desire to do those responsibilities is because God is the one who changed you. He is the one who gave us this desire to represent Him. He is the one who gives us the, the scriptures to know how we are to live. He's the one who drew us to him. He's the one who rescued us. Everything goes back to the Lord, and we're supposed to give him glory in the life that we live now. So if anyone was to ask us, why do you believe in Christianity? Really, the best answer is kind of what Paul said. It's just growing back to the Lord by saying that it is the Lord that drew him away from those things. Why, do you, why are you a Christian? Because the Lord uh, drew you away from the things of the world. The Lord drew you away mainly because of his love towards you. You understand God's love. He He worked in your life and he showed you through his son that you uh, are someone that, uh, that you know, you're, you're your child. And it's his love that makes us want to follow him and obey him and represent him. And in that way, we love him more. And that's why we live for him. If you are only a Christian because you think it's a ritualistic thing, 
and um, it's just something easy to do or socially acceptable, your faith is not going to last because those things, it does not um, summon courage in times of difficulty and especially persecution. You have to be like Paul. You have to understand that if the Lord is real and he moves us to do these things, that will keep us in light of whatever trial and, and scourging and, and hardship because it's the love for the Lord is understand genuinely loving this true God is what will make you endure. But if you have anything less than that, don't be surprised if the things of the Lord will no longer be interesting to you. Because the reason why you do what you do, again, is because the Lord has loved you first. He loved us, therefore we love him. And we obey him because of he, because he initiated the work of salvation in our life. And I hope that this little lesson will encourage you and that you continue to dwell on that love of the Lord as you seek to honor him in your life. Why do we do what we do? It's because he loved us first. Just like why did Paul do what he did it was because God loved him and chose him and appointed him to represent him in the time that he was in. And I know that the Lord will do that for us as well. I hope that this is helpful. Take care and have a great day.